The early church was defined by a radical love that rocked the foundation of Rome and its power over its people. The revolution of the early church demonstrated new norms for living and new forms for social relationships, declaring the supreme and sacred value of every individual. Nowadays, the reputation of the church isn't so revolutionary. Over the years, the church has garnered attention for abusing power, being self-righteous, and the examples of radical love seem unable to keep pace with the examples of hate at times. This has left many to question the validity of the church and made many feel like they're not welcomed or that they just don't belong. But herein lies our opportunity. Much like it was 2,000 years ago, we can participate in the revolutionary life that Jesus calls us into as we seek to join God and His people and His restoring work in this world. So we are in our final week of the revolution. The last few weeks we've talked about we've talked about Jesus Christ the revolutionary. And when you think of revolutionary, sometimes you think, oh, that's great. Or that's a whole lot of bad, depending on what side of the revolution you were on, right? Uh, the winners or losers. Um, we look at Jesus and say, man, the man, the God in man flesh came here to completely change how we viewed and worshipped God. We have to remember, sometimes in our church culture, especially in our children's ministry, Jesus is like this nice little man that's, you know, kind of like sweet and kind and always hugging people. I'm flannel graph. I'm, this is a flannel graph. If you didn't know, I'm sorry. I apologize. You got the flannel graph, right? And, and he's sweet and kind. But here's the problem. He was a revolutionary to the point where people around him said, yeah, we should probably kill that guy. Right? He disrupted the social norm so much when it came to faith, people looked at him and said, ah, yeah, let's kill him. And for our benefit, because that was his salvation plan for us, which is a crazy, it was just amazing. But he was a revolutionary. He changed things. The last couple of weeks was often talked about um, the disciples, the early followers of Christ that gave everything they could for the cause of Christ. Their lives changed, their relationship changed, their idea of money and politics and what right and wrong changed. They gave everything they could up until death as revolutionaries to change the world for Jesus Christ. And today, we're taking that next step and we're looking at God's church, that we can be a revolutionary force of love. That we can be this amazing change in this world for not only our own people, but if we love so much, it overflows and it spills out and it affects other people's lives. For a lot of people, church is a building. Some um, uh, is a representation of outdated ways, outdated thinking, traditional practices, or even offensive or problematic thinking. I'm not going to lie. In the last few years, the church has had some black eyes. First few hundred years here in our culture, the church was at least respected as a force of good. Even if they were people that were outside of faith community would look and say, well, yeah, they're church, good for them, that's great. But nowadays, we live in a post-Christian society where there is no longer just trust for the church. There's no, no longer just well, like, well, maybe just because I don't believe that, it's, it's still a positive thing. There's a few things that have given good reasons to people outside of our community to look at churches and say, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a wise decision. We turn on our MSN browser or whatever, you know, your homepage is, and you look at some of these and say, oh, there's a preacher with a $34 million jet. Now, that's funny here at Sherwood Oaks. We don't have a line item for that. You might want to work on that, elders. Put the big bubble S circle, you know, like right, right there. And be like, ah, oh, Sherwood Oaks. 
No, we're not going to get that done, right? You, you look at some of these headlines and you see churches that instead of protecting the little ones in their care, that literally what God calls us to do, they're protecting themselves, protecting their reputation. And so abuse victims are, are thrown under the rug, ran over by a bus, and they say, well, no, the church is too big for that. We have some black eyes. These are things that make headlines. But Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, we can be different, and I'm here this morning to tell you, you are different. These are all some pretty negative stories, so I want to share something that has changed my life because of you. Two years ago, Stacy's on a phone call, my wife, and it's DCS. And they've called us because we have decided to say, you know what, we want to join the foster care system. We see a need. Um, our family is mildly stable, so maybe we can do something with that, right? I mean, come on. Just because I'm on stage doesn't mean I'm... Anyway, moving on. So she's on this phone, and I only hear one side of the conversation, and I, and I hear her talking, I hear her talking, and, and what we've determined is we have two bio little girls, and we said, hey, let's run with that. Let's run with little, tiny princesses, right? Because all of our stuff's pink and plastic and we'd have no idea what to do with boys anyway, right? And so we asked DCS, it's like, it's like picking something out at a counter, which didn't feel good, right? So we're like, hey, it would be really cool if there was a little girl that needed some help, we would, we would love to help them. And so uh, DCS gives Stacy a call and says, hey, we've got this sweet little girl, she's almost three, she needs a family immediately. And Stacy looks at me and I'm like, right? Because that's kind of a problem. That's a big deal. We should probably do that. But at the same time, I'm scared to death. But hey, have you ever been to a restaurant or like a convenience store where somebody tries to upsell you? You're like, hey, I like a steak and baked potato. That'd be really fun. And then the server's like, don't you want a steak, baked potato? And then sour cream and cheese and chives and bacon and all that kind of stuff. We got upsell, upsold. Hey, we know you signed up for this little girl, but don't you want her infant sister too? Wouldn't that be fun? She's only a week old. And we're like, <laughs> sure. Because what? What, what? what? Seriously, right? And this is what Sherwood Oaks did. We had a day and a half before these sweet people came to our home. And you rallied. Facebook, text messages, phone calls. We had people delivering diapers formula, clothes, toys, because we were those intelligent parents that had like two kids and were like, ah, oh, we don't need any more of this baby stuff, right? We can give it away, we can throw it away, we can burn in the backyard and celebrate never having babies again, right? You've been there, right? Yeah, and we didn't have anything. And so you, you, church, you, a dynamic group of people said, I'm going to gain nothing but to love these little girls, showed up in, in a caravan of minivans and just like bassinets and toys and more pink blankets. You love these kids. You invested in these kids. Some of you don't even know the story, but if you did know this story two years ago, I bet you you would have stepped up too. That's the love of a church. That's the love of a body of believers that come together and say, I see a need and I should do something about this. Those sweet little girls are still in our home, and we call them daughters. They don't know anything different. We're brainwashing them, and that's fine. But we're a family. And those first couple months were hard. It was so hard. But you stepped up. I have the microphone, so I get to do something fun. I'm going to call out some people and some groups and to say thank you. My life group, 
my life group, the life group that my family and I have the opportunity to hang out with. They knew our story. They were praying with us. They were scared for us. They knew that someday this was going to happen. And you know the first responders to those texts? Like I text my mom and then guess who I text? My life group. They showed up. They showed up with new, with used, with cash. They showed up with meals, casseroles. Thank you, church, for loving people through casseroles. <laughs> right? They showed up because they were the most invested in us. I am so grateful for those families. Without some of those families in our lives, those little girls might not be in the situation they're in right now. So thank you for my life group that knew and reacted quickly. I want to thank Mom to Mom. Mom to Mom is a ministry here at Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Um, it's, it's pretty self, you know, evident. It's moms and moms hanging out, enjoying each other, trying to get away from their children for like 40 minutes so they can have an adult conversation and grow in Jesus Christ, right? Guess what? There was a mom to mom blog or like a, a Facebook page and somebody got on there and said, hey, guess what? We need this, this, and this. Can anybody deliver? Minivans, 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 minivans. And you guys showed up. Thank you. Some of you didn't even know the mufflers, which is probably best. And then you, sh and you shared Thank you. This is what love is. Catalyst High School Ministry. We had adult leaders. We had parents of adults show up with clothes, with food, with offers of babysitting. Thank you, Jesus. Right? They showed up. Staff here, my friends, my, my own family. I've got family in Missouri. I've got family in, in Florida. They didn't have a chance to come to our aid because Sherwood Oaks, you did that. My mom is irritated, but I am grateful. <laughs> Thank you for loving my family. These are the stories we should be focusing on. These are the stories that are real. These are the stories that love translates into a lot of changed lives. The church is an amazing organization, even though right now, in some perspectives, we do have some black eyes. The church family stepped up, and I want to say thank you to all of those people. We found a healthy faith community, and I'm grateful for it. A healthy faith community can help you celebrate in the good times. You don't have to be alone. When you can throw a party, people will show up. No one hates cake. They can be there for you. They can help you in the bad times. Guys, life is difficult. It's painful. It's messy. Most often, it's not perfect. And when you're a part of a healthy faith community, people can rally on your behalf. Because if they see you struggling, they can do something about it. Here's the problem, though. If you're not in a community and nobody knows that you're struggling, you have isolated yourself and you are by yourself. You're not even giving someone the chance to minister and rally for you. But a healthy community can do that for you. Um, they can accept your mess. I'm... I'm living proof. Like, we are all broken people. Sometimes I look at my life and think, well, that's a dumpster fire. I wonder what the next step's going to be. Here's the thing. When we hang out in a healthy faith community, we all understand that some of us are in a different place than others. Some of us have challenges that some are, uh, doesn't have. And we can just be cool with that because there's a God that loves us beyond measure who's forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And no matter where we're at, we can find community even if we're messy, and challenge us to be more like Christ. Here's what I absolutely love about being a part of a church 
There is no other organization in my life that has my desire to grow in an area like the church does. I can, I can read books on self-help. I can read books on being a better parent. I can read books um, or go to lectures on trying to be a better dad. That's great. But I have people around me that rally in love and sometimes kick me square in the pants when I need to take a step with Jesus Christ. They're as invested in my relationship with Jesus as they are in theirs. And that is a revolutionary community. And I think we can be a part of it. But let's be honest, this is not easy. Being a part of a community is difficult. You know what's really easy? I'm gonna call this out, Sunday morning church. We've got air conditioning. We got lights that are mostly on, right? I thought, I thought Bailey did a good job. If I was up here, I'd be like, anyway. Um, we have this comfort. We have, we have comfortable seats. We have a roof that mainly doesn't leak. We are in a comfortable spot. Showing up to church is a great first step, but it's kind of the easy step. Being a part of community is difficult because in our lives right now, we have zero margin for other people. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I got a full-time job. I eat sugar and I have one one extracurricular activity I do, and I'm done, I'm out. All my hours are booked. So that means if I have to create, I have to create margin for other people. And that hurts because when I create margin in my life, it brings guilt. Because community takes time, you have to show up, that's rule number one of community, showing up. And to be in a good spot, relationally with other people, you need to spend time. You need to invest in that. And in order for me to have time to invest, I have to steal it from somebody. I gotta take time away from my wife so I can be a part of a healthy community. I gotta take time away from my kids so I can minister and help with other people. I have to steal time from church so I can make margin to be with other people. It brings guilt because we just don't have margin. It's hard, the world we live in, fast-paced, it's difficult. Listen, vulnerability is another reason that sometimes a lot of us struggle with community. It is easier to show up, dress in a shirt that has a little bit of baby vomit, which is kind of embarrassing, but life goes on when you go to church early, um, and kind of act the part. But when you are a part of a healthy community, we're real with one another. You see how John Muffler isn't perfect. Here's the thing I've always thought. I love the idea that if you have ammunition that you could use on me and you don't, that makes me your friend. If you know something about me that could get me in trouble with my wife or my kids or Tom, you know, whatever, right? And you don't, we could be friends because there's a trust there. There's a bond there that we have gained some kind of great relationship there. Listen, vulnerability is hard. And the last one is indifference to the plight of others. The reason why some of these circles just ran toward the mufflers to try to help them is because they knew there was a problem. Here's something, um, when you work for a church, it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, because we do our very best to go visit people in the hospital if they want and man, we are ready, willing, and able. If you find yourself in a hard spot, in a dark place, and you want somebody to hang out and pray with you, or just sneak you in like a meatball sub sandwich, we can do that, okay? Nobody pats down the pastor. <laughs> right? But here's the problem. If we don't know you're there, we can't do anything. And that could, that could really hurt feelings. 
But man, we are ready, willing, and able if we know. And sometimes in life, sometimes we just don't know that there's a problem. We don't know there's tension that we can help with. This morning, we're going to draw a line from Jesus to the church, painting the picture of what a community of church ought to look like, based on practices and acts, and what the New Testament writers say about the church. We're also going to look at church at Sherwood Oaks a little bit, and kind of give ourselves a pat on the back, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not that guy, I'm going to be like, oh, you're doing great, now let's pray and leave. I'm going to invite you into some of these circles, because the great thing about circles is they can continue to get bigger. And the more people that we can love, the more people that we can influence, the more people we can minister to, means there are more people loving Jesus Christ. So yes, we're going to pat ourselves on the back a little bit, but I'm going to encourage you to be part of one of those circles. We're going to start in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I love the book of Acts. It's romance, it's action, um, there's death, there's, I mean, it's rated R. There's a lot of weird spots. So whenever I hear the like, oh, the Bible's so boring, I'm like, what are you reading? This stuff is great. The book of Acts is basically just the chronicling of the very first Christians, the very first church. Can you imagine a church without zero traditions? Can you imagine that? Think about it. Don't get angry and throw stuff at me, right? But think about it. There was no what my grandma did. There was no like, well, we did this in Scandinavia. No, like seriously, nothing. There was nothing. They had no concept of what was happening. These were people following Jesus or even heard of Jesus. Some of these people were, were just like post-resurrection um, witnesses of Jesus and said, wait a minute, this guy was dead a couple days ago. I should probably pay attention to this, right? The very beginning of church is phenomenal. We're going to read a little bit about it. So here we go. There is a preacher sermon to Jews, Gentiles, uh, people from Jerusalem, people from outside of Jerusalem. Again, just a mix of different people groups, right? And after the sermon, this is how they respond. Uh, Acts 2, 41 through 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves in the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, which I think is a miracle in itself. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see some incredible four practices that have strong elements of community. Most of these, if not all of these things, you had to do in a group of people. And the first one was the uh, apostles' teachings. There was no Bible. This just happened. They were sitting around, I can picture this, sitting around in like circles, listening to eyewitness accounts of Jesus. There was no debate, well, is it an NIV church, is it an NASB, hey, what about the New King James? There was none of that. We have that perspective 2020 because it's all written down for us, right? They literally sat around and said, hey, can you tell me that story about Jesus that one time? Can you imagine kids, parents, grandparents sitting kind of like in a circle and listening like, no, he didn't say that. Love your enemies? Nah, you're not remembering that correctly. But this is it. This was the first church. They gathered together and they listened to eyewitness accounts of what Jesus was doing. We do that here today. We read scripture so that we can understand how to love God, how to love his creation, and how we can bring glory to Jesus Christ. We look at that. Isn't that wonderful that we have scripture? We have scripture on our phones, on our tablets, on our computers. We can have it on CDs. Wherever you're at, 
you can have the teachings of the apostles. The second one was fellowship, and fellowship is such a Christian word, right? You know, like, go into, like, Best Buy and, like, hey, you want some fellowship? No, none of that, right? It's kind of a religious situation. Fellowship is basically boiled down to living life together, hanging out, going to a baseball, well, there wasn't baseball then, going to a cricket game? Maybe there's cricket, I don't know, whatever, right? Going and living life together. The early church did a great job of living life together in and out of religious situations. It says uh, here in this verse that they would spend time in the temple courts talking about Jesus. They left there and were together eating meals in homes. These were small, tiny little groups of people that loved Jesus Christ that just kind of lived around each other were friends with each other. Their kids had friends with each other, right? They kind of lived together this, in community. The next one is they broke bread. And we did that this morning. Uh, a lot of these things we do on a Sunday morning basis. We take the opportunity to relax and take a second and remember what Jesus did for us through communion. We're reminded that he loved us beyond measure. That we did not or could not earn it, that he lived a perfect life, a horrific death, and was raised in a spirit that now lives in us, and we get to celebrate communion. And there's another way this could be used, and I think it's not either, I think it's both, and it's like potlucks. I mean, I think Sherwood Oak should do some more potlucks. I'm not sure who's in charge of that ministry, but they ate together. They enjoyed each other while around food. Who doesn't like some fried chicken and mashed potatoes? And Jesus, right? They go hand in hand. It's a phenomenal thing. This was, again, community. They were together, loving each other, taking care of each other, lifting each other up, trying to figure this stuff out. And the last one is they prayed together. And here's something that can be used in community, but oftentimes we kind of like have sanctioned it off for individual use. And that kind of breaks my heart. Because when we pray, we are building intimacy. And I know I just lost half the guys in this room by saying the word intimacy. We are building intimacy with a father that loves us so much. The creator of the universe waits with anticipation to speak to us, to talk to us, to hear from us. We are building intimacy with him. And when we kind of just subject that to a self-only thing, like in a closet... We miss so much because when we pray with groups of people, we also build intimacy with other people. My life group. Um, some of them thought that uh, adding new children to the home, probably not the wisest decision, but as we prayed and as we prayed, it's not like we changed their mind. It's not like there was a debate. But the more we prayed about it, the more hearts were aligned together. If I don't know what's happening with your kiddo or your grandkid, and we sit down and we pray together, we build intimacy, that common desire to see God do amazing things in our lives. I think sometimes as a church we miss on that. I love praying with other people. And I'm not gonna call you out if you're like, eh, I don't pray in front of people. That's fine, you can grow, it happens. 
We can do it together. These are the four things that they kind of rallied together around community. They said, hey, we don't have buildings. We don't have smart lights. We don't have cameras. We don't have anything. Matter of fact, they were in a position where some of the community around them, like, should, should we kill them too? Because we killed Jesus. That didn't seem to work. Maybe we should keep going. So this was a stress on them. And so what they did is they tightly wove themselves together so that they could walk in faith together instead of spreading out and being picked off individually. We see those practices in most churches on Sunday mornings. Um, but here's something I love at the end of that verse. And because of their willingness to worship and serve, God provided more followers to that community. If you're uh, wanting the church to grow, if you're like, man, what do we do? We need to get some different staff or some different elders or we need to get on this bandwagon or, or hey, there's some great curriculum or what do we do? I think church growth the model is here, right here in Acts. At the end, basically they worshiped God and loved each other well. And God said, I'm gonna make you so attractive to other people that they are gonna join your community and talk about faith. If we grow, it's not because of our hands, our hearts, it's because of our Jesus that we serve and we love his creation. They were the first Christians, the very first church, just a group of believers trying to figure out faith in Jesus Christ, and we see them just clinging together in community. The author of Hebrews says, um, we should ponder how that we can help each other out. Let's read that. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. Let us consider how we spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more you see the day approaching. Listen, spurs are not nice. <laughs> Do you know what a spur is? It's like a round knife that you put on a boot. Nobody sees that and goes, aw, those are sweet, cute little, no, it's a spur. Do you know the reason for a spur? You sit on a horse, you say, horse, can you please move left? No, you don't say that. You train a horse, right? And if you want it to go a little faster, if it's not paying attention to you, you spur it, which means you stab it in a loving, kind way to get it to do what you want. There's a way to spin anything, right? I love how this word picture is here. We should be coming up with ways on how to energize, to find movement in the body of Christ, to love other people for Jesus. The word spur makes me go, oh, that might hurt. But to be honest, the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, man, we got to figure this stuff out. Like, we got a job to do. We've got to build this community so that we can love or we can worship God and love others. For my own personal faith story, I don't believe I've grown much by myself. I've needed a spur. I've had people in my life help me be a better father. Help me be a better husband to Stacy. She deserves so much more. And to be honest, the vast amount of growth I've had in Jesus in 20 years has not been my own doing. It's been other people spurring me, sometimes with a gentle hug and sometimes with a sweet little note and sometimes with a swift kick in the tail end. And that's what I need. I need community to grow. My assumption is that in a community, we find growth. If you're asking yourself, man, I've been at this church five or six years, I sit in the same pew, and they're really not doing anything for me. And who do you hang out with? Do you hang out with people that spur you on to do great works for Jesus Christ? Do you hang out with people that are willing to have hard conversations and say, man, I love you, but I noticed this in your life, it's pretty toxic, how can I help? Or do you isolate it and say, Sunday morning's good? And I'm done. Writer of Hebrews says, man, we need to consider how we spur one another. 
Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this, as a prisoner of the Lord, uh, Paul finds himself not in a great place, uh, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope uh, when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Okay, that's a difficult verse. Let me give you the John Muffler boil down kind of naive interpretation, right? My translation is, be cool with one another because we have the same dad that loves us equally. So when you find yourself in community, sometimes it is difficult to look around and be like, I don't want to have peace with him. He's an idiot. Obviously, he has a different opinion than mine. That's why he's an idiot. And I said idiot, and that's okay. We are called to love people regardless of their opinions through your own opinions because we have the same dad that loves us equally. Wherever we think we are in the, in the food chain of this world, we have the same dad that loves us equally, even with the people that you disagree with, even the people that you think is evil, even with the people that I cannot stand because they have hurt people I've loved. We have the same dad that loves us equally and that should bind us in community more than our denomination, our politics, where we live. We can be brought together through the same Father that loved us to give us Jesus. Isn't that amazing that we could build a radical community based on that? So here are some of the steps to finding a healthy faith community. Again, I'm going I'm to pat some, some groups on the back, but I'm going to encourage you guys to join in. Listen, it's easy to show up to church. Taking the next step is hard, but I hope and encourage that you take this next step. Be on the lookout to find your people. Find your people. Chase after them. There are things called life groups at this church. We will help you find people to hang out in to organically grow, spend time with. And it might totally work out. And you're in the same group for a long time and it's totally great. Or in three or four or six weeks, you look at and say, that people, no, out, pass, out of here. We can find you a different group. Not everything is perfect. But in these little communities, you can love each other. You can minister to one another. You can use your spiritual gifts and abilities that God has given you to help minister to other people. And when you do that, they will do that to you. And if we all do it together, we're healthy in Jesus Christ. Not because we totally agree with everything, but because we have the same dad and he loves us equally. Find your people. Um, maybe you can find an affinity group. Maybe you can find somebody that has the same passions and hang out with that group. Love little kids, serve, uh, serve and hang out with people in our children's ministry. Love helping outsiders, serve and hang out with our international ministry. Uh, love encouraging people that are a few steps behind you in the road of life. Serve and hang out with our mom-to-mom -mom group. Or uh, hanging out to, uh, with our mentoring partnership with young professionals. Find somebody that you also love doing good things for Jesus Christ and hang out with them. Maybe you love avoiding people at all costs. Try serving and maybe hanging out with our tech crew. Eh. <laughs> and that's fine. I know that's wrong. There's no right or wrong personality. But find people of like-mindedness and hang out and have a good time. Church should be a blast. We're in it because of Jesus Christ. It's not like somebody's like, ha-ha, you lost. Go hang out at church. No, we have this great opportunity to be with Jesus. Number two, open up with your people. Once you've found some people, be yourself. 
And that's hard. But take the Sunday church mask off and toss it away and be real with people. Because if you're the brave one that starts being real, other people will take their masks off too. And then you can live life together. And you can actually know what's happening and being a part of lives and ministering. Find your people. Open up to your people. And the last one is recruit others to be your people. Go chase after people. Grab them and say, you should be my people. Here's the thing about clicks. As a youth minister for 20 years, I've been fighting clicks for, tw- for forever and I'm done. We're clicky people. Adults have clicks. Kids have clicks. As long as they're not closed off, I'm fine with a click. You're at a click this morning. Be porous. Allow people to come in to your circle. Stacy and I had a hard time in Kentucky. Uh, we moved there, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, we didn't know anybody. Um, and they were great people, amazing people. Um, but it was really hard to find our little circle because everybody was friends with everybody since like elementary school. <laughs> and we, we weren't, we, we, we didn't fit in. And we struggled. We're like super extroverts and we're chasing down people like, be my people, I need people, be my people. They're like, sweet, do you remember that one time in second grade, Miss Cherry's class? I'm like, no. It was hard. If you find yourself in a circle, invite other people into it, be porous. Allow other people to be a part of your community. Church is hard. Community is messy. But when we look at the New Testament, when we look at what Jesus gave as an example, and these new Christians, they came together and said, you know what, we don't know much, but we know if we come together in community and love each other, God's gonna bless everyone around us. So here's my encouragement. Be a part of a healthy community. If church is your first step, if Sunday morning is your first step, I'm glad you're here. Congratulations. Man, this is not the destination. The destination is being in a thriving community that loves you and you can love others. The greatness of this revolutionary community is not the building, it's not the attendance on Sunday morning, it's not even the reputation in our church, or reputation of our church in our hometown. Our strength is found in a savior that loves us beyond measure, that is passionately pursuing each and every one of us today. And through that relationship with Jesus Christ, we can lift and build each other up in this revolutionary community we call church. Be a part, chase after. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.